0: This week on Dig Me Out.
1: With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minnichi.
2: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And some people, Jay, some people are some saying
1: people.
2: they. They, some people are saying that we have some new union members that we need to introduce.
1: Well, those people are right.
2: Uh I bundled them all together in a in a cable like package. For those of you who still have cable. Uh, you're getting both your HG uh, TV and your Discovery <laughs> all in one here. So we need to welcome to the union Ian Wobble. I think Ian was a, was actually a patron before. Yes, uh, he Kim-
1: suggested many albums. Yeah, he's been okay. Part of the community for a long time. Yeah.
2: There you go. Uh, Kimbleton, also known as Kim Bowie, who was like a Someone who was suggesting albums when we were doing the the PayPal, yep.
1: old school, yeah,
2: old school. I believe, I think Kimbui suggested like Spider Bait. That might have been one of I his believe picks. So,
1: yep. Um,
2: Tanya Richardson, welcome to the Union. Tanya has been active on our Discord already. Love it. Very
1: cool.
2: And Marv. I was hoping it was maybe Marv Levy, but it's not. <laughs> Um, it's okay. Is Marvin Levy still alive? Yes, he's still alive.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: He's still God alive and kicking. He's like 97 years old. That, For those who don't know, it's the Buffalo Bills coach from when they went to the Super Bowl four times. Uh, personal hero has the single greatest insult in the history of football when he disagreed with a call. And he called the official an over-officious jerk. <laughs> Really cuts, <laughs> really cut over you over a jerk. <laughs> he was he was known the for having Buffalo a thing ever. Yeah, he, he was known for having a very big vocabulary, um, and also being a big wor- World War Two, uh, nerd. A lot of his locker room speeches involved like Patton and <laughs> stuff like that. Mm, as they should. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Welcome to the union, all of our new folks. Happy to have you with us. Happy to have you as part of the uh, the community. But we also have on this episode a returning member. He's been here so many times before we've lost track of it. Eric Peterson, how are you? Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Eric, this is your... 79th appearance no i don't know how many times something like that something like that it, it honestly it's probably in the 50s at this point mm-hmm.
0: About between twice picks, a year
2: yeah and then also uh all the round tables and and various things i'm guessing it's probably in the 40s or 50s at this point i need to do an official tally also that doesn't even count like suggestions that you made that have been picked over the years for for polls and for old episodes so your your the hand of eric reaches deep into the crevices of the dig me out dna whoa 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 that's a little too graphic there. <laughs> that got weird it did get weird i didn't know where so the, to go with that
1: the official tally i got here is 21
2: that's can't see that doesn't seem possible
1: that seems too low starting with uh, 2015 influential bands of the 90s was the first episode I have. okay
2: well, I'm gonna need to audit our our record keeping because it seems it just seems good off. luck with that. yeah we've never we haven't kept any official records so this is like uh,
1: official records are the website. that's it. <laughs>
2: that's it. yeah we should probably take this more seriously at some point after 14 years so eric you've brought to us a wide variety of interesting records what do you have for us for 2024
0: all right well usually i do my picks in october but uh due to the fact that the uh, dig me out 80s focused on hard rock and metal is sort of new and people are excited about it, it was like When Tim contacted me and said, are we ready to do a pick? I was like, yeah, we'll do mine now. And my pick is the 1999 album by the band, The Hookers called Black Visions of Crimson Wisdom.
2: Now, let me explain. I rejiggered. I know. (laughs) Our our, our Patreon picks. So they actually match up with the month in which people joined because of time over to over time things have gotten out of whack wanted to make sure i got that back in line so and we also we had you special doing uh halloween episodes for a couple of years yes so this this realigns the, the the planets and the stars are now realigned correctly um i have you reached down like the hand of god and, and place them in the proper places <laughs> are you quoting temple <laughs> of the dog now uh i don't know am reach
1: i down?
0: Reach down and pick the crowd up anyway
1: Oh, he reached down and copied and pasted the text.
2: I learned there something real uh, quick side note on Temple of the Dogs' uh, album. You know, Mike McCready has a solo on one of the songs, and apparently, when he was recording the solo, his headphones went out, so he just kept playing because he knew what the key of the song was and he just kept soloing. And then and they ended up keeping it, even though he was not listening to the song at all. I don't nice. know which song it is, I have to look it up, but um, that's crazy.
1: Sometimes- <laughs> It might be better to do sometimes when you're so on. I I guess
2: so. Can you give us a little, um, how did you discover this band? Uh, When was that? That sort of thing. Oh, wow. So I'm sure that
0: um, I stumbled upon them because they were part of that late 90s high-energy rock and roll scene with bands like The Helicopters, Electric Frankenstein, The Bell Rays. And I think they showed up on the fistful of rock and roll compilations. And I saw this record and i picked it up i think it was a bit of a buzz in the group of people i know that were involved in that scene um i do know that for a lot of a lot of people more maybe more like a few people this is the album by this band uh they enjoy their other records but this one as my friend tom bagley said to me last fall this one they just kind of captured a a magic of um energy and you know channeling the uh the, the kind of 70s hard rock uh that you know was really missing from the landscape of that late
2: 90s jay had you ever heard of the hookers
1: i remember the name i'd never heard the band though i mean i was into that i'm still into a lot of those bands um heard some of the compilations and stuff so i, I would hear even if i didn't own the albums i was still hearing you know pieces of uh of different bands, but no, I don't remember hearing them. Uh, the name sounds familiar though. Had you heard them, Tim?
2: No, I had not, and so this was completely new for me. Let's get into some history of this band, uh, which I thank you, Eric, for sending links. History <laughs> of the band. So, searching hookers on uh, Google can get a little troublesome. I'll just say that. I don't need you to go to marriage counseling over something that I suggest you listen to. Not for that that reason, at least. (laughs) Yeah. So they formed in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky in 1994, um, or Lexington, sorry. But they were based in Louisville. They were originally called the Fayette County Hookers. And then they released it, or they shortened it to... um, just the hookers uh their first release was the 1996 seven inch ep kiss my fucking ass subtle very subtle uh then their first full length came out uh well they had a couple more they had a a couple more seven inches uh, for various labels and then their first album satan's highway came out on scooch pooch records in 1998 that was followed by a split CD with electric Frank- Frankenstein called Listen Up Baby. That was released on Man's Ruin Records, which is the uh, San Francisco label. The album we're talking about, Black Visions of Chris- Chris- Crimson Wisdom. Crimson Wisdom is a tough... That's like the sixth. <laughs> it's messing with my mouth. On Twister? Yeah. That was released in 1999, also on Scooch Pooch. I believe Scooch Pooch put out like bands like Zeke and some other artists. When I saw them live uh, after this album came out, they were touring with Zeke. Okay. Some more seven inches, lots of seven inches by this band on various labels. Um, They did do a sub pop single of deep purple. uh, It was deep purple and crocus covers of highway star and ready to burn. That was released in 2000. Hmm. Um, They released a live album, uh, Blood Over Germany in 2001, More 7 Inches, a live and unreleased album called Ripped from the Crypt in 2008. Uh, It sounds like um, they were kind of inactive at that point. I'm not sure what the... uh, there was like a break or something. Maybe that was before that. But some more 7 Inches were released. And that's kind of what I've all seen up until 2014. It's Midnight, The Witching Hour. Is that the last... Um, is that an EP or or an album? Do you know? Eric? Um, I, I think it's an album because I think
0: I have that one. It's not particularly super memorable but got it uh, um i've got it so
2: oh and then there was also horror rises from the tombs on green mist records in 2011 i think that might be the one that i have i have one or two of those you have a lot of seven inches like split seven inches with other bands and 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 ones of their own and then there's a a compilation called casting the runes from the Battle of Klontarf to the Gates of Valhalla.
1: Wow. (laughs) That sounds epic.
2: Yeah, it does. That was on Devil Doll Records in 2005. So, yeah, their uh, their, uh, Discogs page has quite a few releases for a band that we did not uh, know. So, interestingly, uh, the band was formed by Adam Neal, a.k.a. the Rock and Roll Outlaw. Mm Mm-hmm. Adam Neal was also in a band called the glass pack, which I have two of their records on, of, well, MP3s of their records hmm. um, must've picked them up in the two thousands via some file sharing or something yep. like that. Um, and then the, there's a lot of members of this band. So oh, can, just, we, can we talk about Adam Neal for
0: just a moment? Yeah. The, there's two other important nineties bands that he was in. One was called nine pound hammer which was okay. a high energy kind of bluesy alt rock band, and the band that grew out of that was Nashville Pussy, which he was
2: also involved with for a while. Okay, so for this album, and I mentioned there's a lot of members of this band. You have Adam Neal, um, singing on lead guitar. You have Stony Tombs on second guitar blizzard of haas also known as chris hosner um the drummer is chris hamilton and uh where's
0: the bass guitarist the bass player is credited as tom a
2: foolery the third they don't Hmm. uh, on the The discogs page they don't (laughs) list a bass player uh so i'm looking at the uh the discogs page for that oh i'm looking i was looking at the cd i got okay, it yeah real name west keller tom a foolery nice
1: blizzard of Wes haas is a-, is a pretty decent rock and roll name but mm-hmm. okay tom foolery
2: he could have been west killer right <laughs> it was right there it's
1: right there in front of him
2: west the killer the killer wh- whatever that's all right that's fine and uh, yeah, so this was produced by Adam Neal and Noel Rucroft, who is uh, that's stony, I believe. And um, they, uh, they describe their sound as the thunder of Blue Cheer, the speed of Motorhead, and the teachings of Anton LaVey. <laughs> uh, okay. And they still have a Facebook page. I don't know if it's active, but... uh... Uh, They
0: were actually touring a little bit last fall. Um, My friend Tom Bagley from the band Forbidden Dimension, who uh, I I mentioned earlier, spoke highly of this album. When I saw him in Nashville, he was actually going to be seeing them like two nights later, but I think their tour fell apart. But so I know they've done something recently. Gotcha. And I also do know that Adam Neal currently plays in the band Savage Master, which is uh, a fairly well thought of uh current metal band.
2: So Oh. Interesting. Yeah, he's got a lot of of uh credits on his individual discogs page. Yeah. For various bands and yeah, it looks like Savage Master's been around for quite a few years. So and they mentioned he was in the Glass Pack and he was in a band called Um, Dragon's Kiss, Brothers of Conquest, Blade of the Ripper. So,
0: Brothers of Conquest, B-O-C, as in
2: Blue Oyster Cult. Ah, Mm -hmm. let's go over to our Patreon page. We'll (laughs) share the poll results at the end of this episode. But let's get some comments in. Kyle Bittner said, I wish I had a muscle car because throwing this on and putting the pedal to the metal... Just doesn't have the same meaning in a Nissan Rogue. (laughs) Still, though, this album is a gut punch of good time, rock and roll thrash, 100% worthy album. That's pretty good. Also, I agree. This did not fly in my Kia Sorento as well, as well (laughs) as it would have.
1: um, Well, you know why? Why? You don't have a tape deck in there. It's true. Or a graphic EQ.
0: I mean, I mean really, if you're gonna be in the muscle car that should this should have been on any track, right?
1: True.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think actually this is more of a van than a muscle car. This is like a this is like a 70s van. Yes. You, know, you open the door and smoke billows out type of thing. Uh Gavin, big dumb rock. I like it. We're the album. I still prefer whores to hookers. Prefer whores to hookers. <laughs> okay. That's a personal. Now the other side, Ian McIver. The streak continues. He says, "Decent single." This has been a rough year for Ian. We gotta, we gotta send him a get well soon card or something.
0: <laughs>
2: he needs to drink more crappy beer and sit in his garage for a while. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Justin Moore said for me, the litmus test and whether it'll make it to a second spin on most albums of the vocals. And this just doesn't do it for me. I'm afraid very bland and basic melodies, which follow a very similar pattern from song to song for me, a tad annoying in tone, a tone and delivery. The music fares a bit better, but again, for me, once you've heard one tune, you've heard them all decent single. So very split comments. Let's see how the voting shakes out at the end of this episode. But, Jay, let's get into it. Tell me one thing you liked about Black Visions of Crimson Wisdom by the Hookers.
1: Compared to uh, some of the other bands, uh, their peers, so this action rock, high-energy rock uh, sound of the late 90s, early 2000s, the thing that I enjoyed and really worked for me on this was they're mixing in some different elements one is um there's a tinge of new wave of british heavy metal in here so there's a classic metal um, approach to some of the riffs even parts of riffs that then morph into you know different styles that they're certainly there you hear it right away on uh, the opening riff of behold god's candy Your love machine, which half of that riff that starts the song sounds like Iron Maiden, and the other half is blues, like a blues progression, which is kind of bonkers, but like they make it work. Uh, another example would be Into Glory Ride, uh, it's got that heavy classic metal feel in the guitar riff. Uh, and then there's another shade of this band where you know they're, they're playing off of that but then they'll flip and sort of lean into the blues sludgy, but the blues wrist, but they'll do like a sludgy boogie kind of feel. Um, So that's where you start to hear some of the action rock tendencies come in. And I think what's cool about that is you could also hear some of that stuff getting into more of a stoner rock feel if the drummer would maybe play in halftime and they'd groove it out more, but because everything is uh, really pushing high energy faster tempos it takes on this other kind of unique sound um so it's kind of playing with similar guitar style riffs and even vocals but because i think the way the drums approach it it feels a little bit more like um new bomb turks than you know a stoner rock band like kaius or something like that or um so maximum overdrive is a good example of that black magic stallion is another example who will survive um I think the last thing is within these you know it's, this is all wrapped around pretty straightforward pop songwriting these are very short songs they're all under three and a half minutes I think they're pretty they're pretty straightforward. There's a couple middle sections that, you know, have some guitar solos in them and that meander a little bit, but the pretty tight structured songs, verse, chorus, verse, some have pre-choruses. And within there, there's, I think, a pretty solid sense of melody, but I think what elevates it, or at least makes it unique is this, this vocal delivery. That's, you know, the shredded, high intensity vocal it's really aggressive but then also has some glendanzig kind of sensibilities for melodies so you've just got like these pop songs that are then kind of just gasoline fueled intense like blowing in your face um which gives everything this unique sound right so you just put the record on you heard some of the comments like there is a sound to this band and it's consistent through the whole thing. There is a style in terms of the songwriting. Um, but then as you sort of break things down, you realize they're pulling from all of these different um, influences that some, you know, a lot of other bands are pulled from, but the way they're putting them together is at least to my ears, you know, pretty, pretty unique uh, at times and differentiates them from most of the other bands that i can think of from that area era even though i could see them playing you know shows with them they're not quite the same as like a lucifer or they're not quite the same as a no helicopters or you know they're definitely carving their own niche in here So that, that's what worked for me. Um, how about you, Tim? What worked?
2: Well, I don't have the same background when it comes to metal that you do. So, the my initial impression was, oh, this is like this, I guess this is like thrash. I, I guess this is a thrash record. Hmm. Um, and then, as I listened to it, Mark, I, and, and started actually like reading, because I didn't want to like prejudice myself by reading a bunch before I listened to it. And then I read it, and there was like, oh, this is punk. Oh, okay. I didn't, I guess I didn't think of th- that, that this would be punk. So then I started to listen to it with that in mind. So when I heard a song like ride the dragon to the crimson light, I go, Oh, okay. This kind of has a, a early helicopter, super shitty to the max kind of feel with that. over oh, the way that those, like everything is like in the red on that album and the guitars are super distorted and he's doing a lot yeah. of screaming as opposed to the, where they they kind of streamline their sound on the next record, um, so I then I started to get a better grip of like, okay, what are they doing? How does this connect to action rock when this is not necessarily a straight up metal album? Like I was thinking, and I also and I noticed that the songs were short too. I'm like, well, this isn't metal. These songs are too short i where's the instrumental breakdown with the with the finger-picked classical guitar like this doesn't there's something missing here we're you know what i mean like yeah yeah yeah. where's the double guitar leads and and the the i was just when i realized the things were that weren't there i started to go oh okay now i get this um so like you, I love that these songs are so concise and just punch you in the face really fast and then run. And then they another one comes. And I have no idea what he's singing for the most part until you get to the chorus. But I was listening to this on Amazon Music and every song is marked explicit. I'm like, I don't know what he's saying that's explicit, <laughs> but it's nice that they mark them all. Uh, so I'm not going to play this when the kid's around. <laughs> um, But I really liked the energy of this record and, and like you i heard when you mentioned Caius, i was like oh yeah i it, there, there's some of the sludgier they're not necessarily slow songs but they're just they have a little bit more thickness to the tone um based on whatever the notes that they're playing i definitely picked up on that and and, and like that experience to be confused thinking like oh this is this is a metal album and then going oh wait these guys aren't this is they're not made like the cover looks like this is a black metal album from you know scandinavia like that guy's got this menacing i I don't know if he's got like spikes on his um on his forearms or not but i'm just like looking at it going okay this is a scary band this would have this would have scared me in in catholic school and i would have you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> run away from it um but i do really like the energy of this record the fact that they don't let up and it's only tw- it's not even 30 minutes long yeah it, it just yeah. barrel through this thing as fast as possible and that to me feels like absolutely perfect i also like that the guitar solos are not necessarily super proficient like sometimes it's just a big note that the guy's just bending or making noise and stuff, as opposed to a Ying Wei style shredding guitar solo. I feel like the, the noisier guitar solos actually make more sense because this isn't straight up metal. This has a punk hardcore crossover, whatever you want to um, label it as. That to me makes sense that there would be more um, basic leads and guitar solos even though the riffs themselves are really interesting and some of them are super fast and i can't even i can't play as fast as they're playing on some of these songs i mean they're it's just it's really impressive so that's some of the stuff i liked eric you brought this to us what is what works for you on this record so there's a couple
0: things um i like the energy that's that's the biggest thing this is the the kind of record that for me you had a bad day at work and you just want to scream along with something in the car on the way home. This is that energy. It's driving, but it it never gets overloaded for me. And it doesn't sound like one long song either. There's enough breakup of it's not really tempo as much as it's a couple of places where it downshifts. Um, and to me, I always think of this as being Motorhead meets Black Sabbath. Um, both of which are like major punk influences, but major, obviously, hard rock metal influences. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's there's a couple of guitar solos that that are very much like early Sabbath, Tony Iommi, kind of real just fuzzy sounding pieces that, that give you a break from that full throttle energy. Uh, as far as the vocals go, I also think that the vocals do provide a drive that I don't usually hear in other bands. Because melodically they're driving the song along with the instrumentation. Uh, yeah, I can't understand half of what he's saying, but the choruses are the kind of things that I find, you know, singing along with in the car. And this is very much in my mind a car record. This is not something I want, you know, have a glass of wine and bowl laundry with, but um,
1: <laughs> you yeah, that, throw that the glass ener- against the wall. Yeah,
0: that energy, uh, you know, kind of makes you want to, to my mind, pump your fist or tap your foot or, you know, get pulled over for speeding kind of a thing. Um, I think additionally that when I was listening to it this time, and I've listened to this record a lot over the years, that I definitely also picked up on that kind of um, groove, that kind of boogie melodic part to it that you don't, once again, you don't necessarily hear in say, you know, a DRI record or something like that. Uh, so I was also thinking a little bit of corrosion of conformity when I was listening to it. And I think mm-hmm. it's, that's that Southern element that comes in. You know, we talked about Adam Neal Neil coming out of nine pound hammer being from Kentucky. So there's definitely just a hint of that Southern rock kind of, kind of boogie groove in this. And I, I think all of those elements on this record, especially are, are mixed in such a way that they create a uh, this cohesive driving record that's extremely listenable if you're in the right frame of mind in the right setting. And it's also a ton of fun live. You can, you can just imagine what the live shows are like of this energy on a good night when this energy is feeding to an audience that's receptive to these sounds.
1: One band that
2: came to mind, um, Jay, I don't know if you remember this band. They're called early man. Yeah. Um, They were a metal band in the early two thousands that, sounded like they came out of a different like they clearly understood metal but you could tell that like maybe they were in a punk band maybe they were in a in some other band before it but it re- reminded me of that band where they were like oh they're doing stuff that nobody's really touching on now
1: they had like uh early metallica yeah kind of angle to some of their stuff right
2: yeah and judas priest and and uh yeah. Although, like the, the the new wave British new wave right. bands, not new wave, but new wave of British heavy metal, um, I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> they were actually from Ohio. They were from Columbus, and then they yeah, like, moved that. to Brooklyn or something, because um, everybody moved to Brooklyn in the two thousands. Uh, <laughs> so, in terms of what doesn't work, Jay, what doesn't work for you?
1: the extreme veneer of the vocals there's a lot of open symbols on this record and a lot of layered fuzz that just means there's just a lot of ambient like stuff going on there's just a layer of intensity that is great i think i agree on the energy part but it does make it hard to get to the meat of the song sometimes uh it takes i think there's several tracks here where it just took me time to repeated listens to really get like oh that course is really cool you know i didn't quite hear that the first time i listened to it but now you know a couple listens in now i'm able to kind of get to it because i was just hearing the volume and the intensity at first um and i think the other aspect of that is that um tracks that are just average that this presentation presentation doesn't for me you know so there's some bands where you know they can have average material but because there's something just magical about the way they play or present it or produce it or whatever like a long list of reasons why you know they can kind of elevate songs that aren't incredible and make them really compelling to listen to Um, i think there's a couple tracks on this record that Songs are meh, and then you just kind of get this intense overlay on top of a meh song, and it really doesn't do anything to help it. So I, I struggled a little bit with like liking the presentation, but then at other points, wishing it was in particular maybe the singer just had like another range to him, like he could do like in some of these choruses maybe there was like a different place he could go or way different way to deliver um, the melody. Cause I, I, as I listened to it, I'm like, Oh, that's in there. Like I get it. Like, that's a really cool hook, but it took me five lessons to really understand it and kind of grab onto it um, underneath all of the fuzz and distortion and symbols and stuff. So that's been my biggest issue with um, with the record and, and what doesn't work. Anything work for you, Tim?
2: Same. It really it's the vocals, and it's so it could have been so easy to fix. Um, it just needed you like you say, he just needed a second gear. Not that he has to get louder or faster or, or yeah. anything, but like the verse melodies are almost interchangeable from song to song. When he gets to the chorus, he usually comes up with something interesting, like in Black Magic Stallion. He, he says the line and he's like, well, Oh, Oh, Oh. And I was like, Oh, I need more of that. Like, give me more yeah. of those little bits of personality. He throws them in every once in a while, but I like you clearly tell that the choruses are a little bit more thought out. And I don't, I, that just the tone of his vocal, I agree with Justin. It's like, it just is like, it's a little too repetitive. Um, and when you brought up Caius, I was thinking like, like John Garcia from Caius could do, like, the weirder, slower stuff, and then could also do the fast stuff and mix it up with his vocal. And I liked, like, he's gruff. He's got, like, a gruff vocal approach. And I wonder what, like, it would have sound like if he was singing over st- some of these songs, as mm-hmm. opposed to um, Adam Neal. Not that I don't, like, I wouldn't want to get rid of him completely, but it just, like, almost needed a second singer in the band to yeah. trade songs back and forth. So I didn't have to hear basically the same delivery song after song after song. Uh, but musically, I really enjoyed a lot of this record. I do agree with you. Like there's a lot of like, yeah, just that, that, that sizzle that happens when the, when the cymbals are just constantly getting slapped. uh um,
1: He's always playing the hi hat open and he's always he's there's like one part of one song where he goes to the ride part of the or the bell part of the ride, which calms things down. I'm like, cool, do more of that. <laughs> Cause like now I can hear what the band is doing and like, but it didn't last more than ten seconds. Right.
2: Eric, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? So so what it sounds like
0: you guys are saying it's the the production maybe that that uh that is the, the issue here with as far as the mixing goes.
2: um, Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I don't know if that's a drummer preference or if it's, or if it's a mix issue.
1: Okay. I think it's a little both. Like, I think it's, I mean, the drummer's playing super aggressive. I want that on this record. Probably could be mixed a little bit differently to let the vocal come out. You know, there could be a very well, like the performances on this record might be just fine. It might be just a matter of like, Just mixing a difference, I can hear the songs a little easier. It's just hard to get to the songs for me.
0: So there's nothing that really stands out. I do I do agree that there's a lot of noise on this record, and that's to me sounds like a production or a mixing or a recording issue. Maybe also, you know, this is going to be a record coming out on a you know small label, probably Mm -hmm. recorded fairly quickly. So I do take that into account. And yeah, I agree that the vocals could be a little more dynamic and a little have a little more difference. You know, we, you mentioned Danzig earlier, maybe a crooning here or there or something that's just a little bit uh, different. But, uh, you know, overall, as far as, within the context of the kind of record this is, that doesn't really bother me as much. And also, uh, if you think about this record as also being on the vinyl, so you have a side one and a side two that are just, you know, 15 minutes, and then you get up and you change the record or you flip the tape and you come back for another 15 minutes, there, there's a natural break in there with that kind of a, a setup that I think gets missed when we're streaming or listening on a uh, CD. So, you know, th- yeah, those are little things to me. I, Like I said, I do agree that there's maybe a little bit more noise and, and the mixing could put the vocals up a little more. A lot of records from this era, I always felt like you need to mix the guitars down one number and the vocals and the bass up too, because there's a, tendency in a lot of bands from from this scene in this era to to for the guitarists to be um mixed way high and everything else lower.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the bass is, just just fixed that with their revisited version of uh, Grande Rock. Yeah. Like you can actually hear the bass and the drums.
2: Right. The bass is pretty <laughs> locked in with what the guitars are doing on this <laughs> record. There's you don't hear a lot of variation. He's not he's not doing a lot of runs and, or, or going off on his own. I mean, it's, but again, it's also the speed too. I mean, you're playing like motorhead speed uh, and motorhead's a great touchstone
0: because, you know, famously Lemmy's voice is not super dynamic, but he was able to carry these kinds of songs and maybe be a little more, give them a, I don't want to say personality, a little more dynamic, but he was also the Mm -hmm. bass player. So he was also, you know, driving that, that part of their music.
2: He also sang in a lot of ways, very clearly, even though he had a very gruff, again, that word, you know, like he gargled glass kind of vocal. Um, But you can make out what he's when he, especially on like the singles, you know, if you like Ace of Spades or Eat the Rich or whatever, you can hear what he's singing very clearly. Well that uh, that's that stems from his uh you know previous
0: bands. The uh he was in Hawkwind where he sang. Right. And before that was it the um God, I can never remember the the name of the band. There was a couple of them um that he was in where they were much more traditional UK um pop, you know, UK invasion style bands.
2: Um so I have I'm curious about their place in the whole action rock, like world, because I've, I've heard of a ton of bands, even the ones that I've never heard. I've heard the names. Mm -hmm. I may have heard the records, but I've never heard them come up. Is it because they're on these tiny labels in Kentucky that they're not mentioned in like the same realm as, you know, the helicopters, Glucifer, backyard babies, that kind of thing
0: probably and probably also because they're they're more tied to the that nashville pussy scene which definitely okay. is a band they got mentioned but you know they weren't you know and frankly the, this this album's kind of an outlier as i recall their other albums don't sound quite quite this much like a 70s hard rock record so they uh you know they they weren't at the they weren't they weren't a band that nobody ever heard from again or talked about again you know um but they they were definitely not at the level of like the big ones like on the american side you have like electric frankenstein and the bell rays are kind of kind of the the biggest of of those bands from that scene um but you know a lot of people i, I knew in and around the the american side of that scene really digged this record and and were uh, were fans of of them as a band and obviously you mentioned they have a whole lot of split seven inches which tells me mm-hmm. there were a lot of other bands that were like oh this will go good with our sound or, and you know crossing over with our fan base and probably because it looks like they did take a hiatus as you know um especially adam neil went on to do other things
1: right
2: right so i'm not even going to try to justify why this wasn't on the radio in 1999 <laughs> this well is... th- this should have been on maybe
0: college radio if you had a college radio station sure. that had like a metal show or a hard rock show and uh they had any of these songs that you know weren't going to get flagged by the fcc you know they could have been playing them next to electric frankenstein or motorhead or you know you, you were talking about thrash earlier thrash always has had a very punk edge to it in a lot of ways, Thrash is like the bastard child of both punk and metal. And you think about like Danzig the band, you think about anthrax. you think about even Metallica or Slayer. All of those those bands were huge fans of not just metal, but punk. And right. so that's where, you know, that's where a lot of the sound comes from,
2: yeah. And I think that's what initially confused me because I'm trying to I'm trying to rectify this is a punk band but this doesn't sound like punk. This sounds like a metal band, Mm -hmm. but it's not quite metal because they're doing things that are not metal enough. (laughs) Are you metal enough? Not
1: quite. Uh, That that typified, I think most of the bands in this sort of sound and genre. Yeah. They just put it together. Each band put it together in a different way, but it was still like, you know, a late seventies album collection with a couple like, Punk records mixed in from the early 80s. And you sort of put that in a blender, and, you know, hundreds of different combinations can come out, but it's essentially the same ingredients. So, of, of
0: the uh, the big four Scandinavian bands, you know, being Helicopters, Glucifer, Tur- Turbo Negro, and the Flaming Sideburns, this is definitely more the Glucifer Turbo Negro side of things rather than yeah. Helicopters and Flaming Sideburns.
1: Yeah. Got it. Turbo Negro comes up as the next song whenever I let this play out. <laughs> so every time that, it's a different song but it's always them
2: that's interesting because when i looked up like cra- crossover thrash like none of those bands that we just talked about come up it's like dri and Chromex and <laughs> biohazard agnostic front you know uh then these are bands none of these bands i've checked out i know the name i know all those names i but i haven't checked them i you know Sod, I've, I know the name. Never listened to them. Uh, who else is on here?
0: That Sod, I-, so I believe, is a side project of some of the members of Anthrax. Yes. Yep. And is it one of the guys from Corrosion of Conformity? Maybe,
2: or am I thinking of a different band?
1: It might. And, not, and, and, you might be
0: right.
2: So let's get to our overall ratings on this record. or decent single will share the results of the poll momentarily jay where do you
1: land there's stronger and weaker material on here but they did the right thing by making this a short burst of energy like this barely 30 minutes and that's exactly what this kind of record should be uh has no business getting over that and we've think, like, reviewed other many other records um where they overstay their welcome. You know, I think this band it sounds like on this record they know the statement they want to make. They got a handful of songs to do it. Um they plug in and let it rip. So I think based on that, I'm going to go with a worthy album. I mean, it's hard to it's over so fast uh, and it's all so cohesive. Um it's hard to, you know, whittle it down to an EP and have it be any more meaningful than just you know what's there on the full 30 minutes so you know ride the ride the dragon to the crimson light not my favorite song i'm not sure about the little psychedelic guitar solo during cold funeral mountain it sounds a little too iron butterfly but whatever it's like middle of the record it's sort of a nice little change up um but you know i can nitpick here and there but i think it's a pretty fun slice of energy so i'm gonna go for worthy album it was the first
2: ever iron butterfly reference on this podcast <laughs> i mean I'm it's pretty legit sure.
1: straight up i think oh yeah, uh, yeah i know what you're talking about
2: guitar solos.
1: <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah um I,
2: I feel like this is this is a polarizing record in terms of like you either gonna turn this on and go yes and throw the horns and rock out or you're gonna be like fuck no <laughs> and i think the comments that we got on patreon pretty much bear that out i'm at a worthy album i put this on and so many times it ended i was like wait a minute didn't i just put that on and it it just goes (laughs) by so fast um now i did not listen to this over and over again uh i did take breaks because even though it's short it's a lot to uh, digest Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but i there is definitely a mood for this record and uh, it fills the bill quite well, so worthy album for me.
1: It's good dragging in the middle of the day. You just pop this on for thirty minutes and take like a shot of caffeine.
2: Hmm.
0: Eric. Oh, it's e- easily a worthy album. Uh, looking at it in the context of what kind of a record this is, and what kind of record it's wanting to be, it it does exact knows exactly what it is, and it does exactly what it's meant to do. I totally agree that it doesn't overstay its welcome anytime that it it drags you on onto the next thing that the, the energy is really what's there. And, you know, thinking about it as far as other nineties records, or especially songs that kind of this album reminds me of in a lot of ways, it feels like black sunshine by white zombie. It's got that same kind of like drive and obviously Rob zombies vocals in that era. We're not quite this rough, but we're definitely in the same kind of yell slash bellowing. So mm-hmm. if, you know, you got the muscle car, you're in the garage or whatever, and yeah, you need something to get you get you moving, this, this will definitely do it.
2: Well, our patrons shook out 63% worthy album, 38% decent single. There were wow. no better EPs.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's what we're saying. Like it doesn't make sense. Either you're yeah. in or you're out. There's no yeah. sense in like editing it down and like messing around with it.
2: So
0: I, I'm gonna call out one person who who I want to know what they thought of this record, and that's Chip. I want
2: to know what Chip thought of this record. Chip, all right, you're on notice.
1: <laughs> we expect a full report in Discord.
2: Yeah, and this is this is on Bandcamp. You can go to the hookers uh bandcamp page and they have their releases on there and uh you know, I think it's, it's like, most of their albums. I don't think all the singles are on there. They might have been collected. Um, but they also have like I mean you can buy t-shirts and looks like there might be even some, some uh vinyl for purchase on their website as well. So if you want a shirt that says hookers on it, there you go. <laughs> but that's the albums for Black Visions of Wisdom Uh, Black Visions of Crimson Crimson Wisdom, wisdom. Yeah the, Oh
1: that's not uh, On Apple Music the word Crimson is not in Yeah there.
2: it's also not on Amazon They must have not typed it in They forgot to type Crimson yep. But it's on the album cover oh, Yeah
1: I'm looking at the two side by side I can see it in the album cover but not in the actual title
2: also, on the album cover, there's like these two lines after Hookers, and some places have it listed as Hookers, two Roman numeral ones, as if it's yeah, like Hookers, it's
0: two. Two, because it's a, their a second full length album, as I recall.
2: Oh, okay. Well, that's nifty, but makes it confusing for the. Yeah. When well, the next one is not Hookers, three. <laughs> oh, okay. come on. Let's be consistent, people. Eric, thank you for bringing this to us. This was an end of uh, action thrash punk I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this is new is territory for me. Something that you're interested in exploring more of? Yeah, I'd be curious to know what other. I mean, you mentioned Nashville Pussy, which who I've heard, because um, uh, they they played Columbus a bunch of times. Yeah. when in the two thousands. Uh, actually, one of the th- I know they've gone through some lead singers. Uh, one of the lead singers was actually from Columbus, a guy named Johnny Wiles, who was in a band called the Barb Wire Dolls, not the one from Pittsburgh. There was a different Barb Wire Dolls from Columbus, and then he became the lead singer of Nashville Pussy for like I don't know if he was on a record, but he definitely toured with them. Um, so that was like kind of a big deal when they played here because he was the singer. I, I think they played little brothers might've been. Yeah. It was like early two thousands. Anyway, if there's other bands, please put them in the discord that are, that are similar to this and I'll go check them out. Cause this is an interesting. So I'll just sound. I'll just shout out one of them
0: for, for the listeners. And that's a Canadian band called the cripple Creek fairies. Uh, same kind of like high energy um, groove metal, I guess you could call it. Um, yeah, that, that's, they're a, a little more on the boogie side than, than the hookers, but that's another band I think of as being in this space. Also, there was, I mentioned it earlier, there was a series of compilations called The Fistful of Rock and Roll. There's 13 volumes, and the plan was they were going to release one a month starting in January of 1999, and the 13th one would come out in January, or January, February of 2000. And it was supposed to be a snapshot of rock and roll worldwide at that moment. I think they got the first six out and then it fell apart. Eventually they all did come out, but bands on these compilations are bands. Like we've mentioned, you know, Glucifer, uh, the bell rays, electric Frankenstein Sal from electric Frankenstein's the one that put the compilations together. Uh, but there's a bunch of bands on there like the Gaza strippers and, um, Flaming Sideburns, uh, just, yeah, they're well worth checking out for anybody that wants to explore kind of the breadth of the worldwide scene. There are compilations that are more uh, location-specific. The Ride on the Rocks and the Swedish Sins compilations are definitely more oriented towards Scandinavia. But the uh, Fistful of Rock compilations are well
2: worth checking out. The Gaza strippers. There's a name I haven't heard in a long time.
1: We saw. I saw them.
2: Yeah, I remember that.
1: They opened for the helicopters. Yeah,
2: that's right. Zen gorillas.
0: There, Zeke is on there. The super suckers. I mean, the the list just goes on and on. You'll recognize it probably about a third of the band names, and then the, the rest are, you know, bands that that never made it anywhere else, or, you know, existed for a little while, or just faded away.
2: That's a name I have not heard in a very <laughs> long time. Uh, Eric, thank you for bringing this to us. This was a lot yep. of fun. You're um, welcome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And if you listening to this would like to be like Eric, you can join us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com to vote in polls like the ones for this episode or our monthly album tournament polls. As we speak right now, there is a Super close race in the final, uh, four great picks back and forth. It's going every day. Who knows what's going to happen with that? I think there's a couple days left in that poll and you could be the deciding vote on whether we review, I think it's like pulp and the Lemonheads and Ruby. And I don't remember who the fourth one was, but it was a good one. It was like all really good records in the four for the four finalists. And that's done by suggesting records at digmeoutpodcast.com. You can suggest both for our 90s rock podcast and for the 80s metal podcast that comes out every other week that we launched this year. First couple episodes have gone up. Tesla, Yngwie Malmstein, and I believe the Bang Tango episode just went up as well. Not when we're recording this, but by the time this comes out, there's that gap.
1: By tomorrow morning, yes.
2: Yes. Which will be last week <laughs> by the <laughs> time this comes out. Uh, you can go to Substack to get our newsletter, which comes out frequently. On the weekends, you get uh, new releases of music, books, documentaries, etc. relevant to 80s, 90s, and aughts music. And then also, there are history of the bands for that are in the polls It's where you can find the 80s metal podcast. And lastly, Apple Podcast is where you go if you want to leave positive feedback for this show. So for JM Tim, we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.